for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, Caleb will be concluding our series titled Colossians, The Image, and will be speaking on Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. In this text, Paul challenges the Colossians to rethink the basic units of society, household codes. What difference did following Jesus make in their day-to-day relationships with their spouse, their kids, and their employees? As it turns out, quite a lot. In particular, those who were vulnerable in society were to be honored and given a voice. We are then invited to consider the implications of this teaching in 2024. Um, This morning we are concluding our study in the book of Colossians. Uh, We've spent a few weeks together in the book, and in this series we've really uh, been focusing on how Paul has been challenging some of the ways that the Roman Empire had been influencing the life of the church. And so the Roman Empire, the Romans, they had many, many ideas about what the good life was, right? And the Colossian church had actually been influenced by a lot of Rome's philosophies and ways of life. And in this letter, Paul has been challenging some of the background assumptions that the Colossians were bringing to their expression of the Christian faith. And this morning's passage is is no different, really. And we're gonna spend some time setting the passage in context, and then we're gonna think through what sort of application might this have for us today. Uh, Before that, would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning just aware of my own inadequacy, aware that I'm human, um, that I'm fallible, and in many ways, I come to you with uh, a couple of fish and a couple loaves of bread. And uh, Lord, unless you come and break the bread, then we will leave hungry. But Lord, if you would come and break bread, then our souls could be nourished this morning. And so we invite that, Lord Jesus. We invite you to come and to break bread in our midst this morning, and that none of us would leave hungry, that we would see you this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you want to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I'll be reading verse 18 all the way to chapter 4 and verse 1. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord, 
rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Someone's phone was gonna read the text for us. (laughs) Next time I should do that, just play it on my phone with the mic, that'd be good. Okay, so this is, this is our text for this morning. And maybe it goes without saying that there's some controversy in this text. Somehow I always seem to draw the short straw and end up getting the, the controversial text. But uh, this text, I think all of us would know that um, it's, it's been misunderstood. This text and others like it have been widely misunderstood. It's been taken out of context. It's been used uh, to justify harsh treatment of women uh, and even to justify uh, the practice of slavery. So we can't really get around that this morning. That's just a reality. Um, But I think because of this, many of us will be tempted to avoid a passage like this or at the very least just kind of skim it over uh, because we're not really sure what it might have to say to us. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that we could see this passage together with new eyes. And that starts by doing the hard work of placing the passage into its original context. So we need to take a look at what a text like this would have meant for its original audience. So in many of your Bibles, the heading for this passage will say something like, Instructions for Christian Households or rules for Christian households. And what Paul is doing here is he's picking up a familiar Greco-Roman practice of providing direct instructions to the households that made up the empire. So this was something that the Greeks and Romans would often do, and Paul is, is kind of mimicking that in this letter. And now the household in this context isn't Uh, me, my wife, and kids, like how we might think of household. A household in the Roman context is, you could think of a wealthy landowner. I kind of think of uh, Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey. You know, he's, he's up there, he's got all of his servants, he's got everybody under him, and he's got his family as well. But it's, it's a bit different from how we might think of household. And I'm going to read a, a quote here from Aristotle, actually the philosopher, And uh, it's a little bit long, but it helps us understand what Paul is doing in the text today. So let me read this for us. This is from Aristotle's Politics. Seeing then that the state is made up of households, before speaking of the state, we must speak of the management of the household. The parts of household management correspond to the person's who compose the household, and a complete household consists of slaves and freemen. Now we should begin by examining everything from its fewest possible elements, and the first and fewest possible parts of a family are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. So you can already see these are the 
exact parties that Paul addresses in the letter to the Colossians today. So this was common. The state is the empire, and the empire is made up of households. So for the Greeks and the Romans, there's no separating the household unit from the empire or the state. So what you end up with is the household needed to directly reflect the power dynamics of the state. So the Greek household or the Roman household was like, it was like a mini state, a mini empire. And it would look something like this. You can see this image on, on the screen. So just like in the empire, you have a ruler and then you have the subordinates. So the emperor is the ultimate ruler. Uh, he, he designates authority, right, to his military, to his servants, and then also to the patriarchs of the society or the men of the society so that they can rule over their households the same way that he rules over the empire. And how does the emperor rule over his empire? Renus talked about this last week. Rome was a military state, so they used... Uh, fear and power to gain control over others and to maintain order. And so it was expected that the men, the patriarchs, would rule their houses the same way, that they would maintain order through fear and control. So the man is the patriarch and he rules over his wife, his children, and his slaves. And the man's power and authority mimic the emperor's power and authority. So often within this culture, household codes would be distributed by the empire with instructions for the patriarchs on how they should rule over their wives, their children, and their slaves. And there was an expectation that men were going to rule their homes to maintain order, to keep everyone in line. And that maintained the stability of the society, of the entire empire actually rested on this foundation. And this would have been familiar to the Colossians. The men would have been used to receiving instructions from the empire on how to manage their households. And so now with this context in mind, we want to come back to what Paul is saying in our text today, and I think the meaning starts to become a little bit more clear. So Paul is providing household instructions the same way the empire would provide those instructions. But I don't want to focus on the similarities because they kind of stop there. I want, I want us to notice who does Paul address first in his letter to the Colossians? Wives and then husbands, children and then fathers, slaves and then masters. Paul is speaking directly to the subordinates, to the powerless. Now, if he was following the Roman practice, he would have been only addressing the men. The men have all the power, and see, the men are actually addressed three times in the letter, right? Husbands, fathers, masters, that's the same person. But Paul is flipping this practice of household instruction, and he's addressing the subordinates of the household first. Just quickly, here's another quote on this. Just by him speaking directly to wives, children, slaves, Paul is giving them a level of status and dignity. 
By giving them names and their own responsibilities, he's making a move that would stand out against the ancient culture. So speaking to wives, children, and slaves is already a radical move that would have been noticed by the Colossians. But Paul doesn't just speak to them. He speaks to them first. And now he could have instructed the men first. And then he could have given some instruction to wives, children, and slaves after that. And that still would have stood out, right? That still would have been noticeable to the Colossians. But instead, he honors and addresses the subordinates first. And this isn't by accident. It's not by accident. What Paul's doing here is very intentional because he's modeling for the Colossians the very thing he's instructing them to do in this section of, this le- of the letter. To flesh that out, we've talked a little bit about this Greek word before. The word is hupotasso, and it's the word Paul uses, which is translated submit. More directly, what it means is to place yourself under, to place under. And Paul is encouraging the Colossians in every relationship to place themselves under one another. And it's actually built into how he structured this part of the letter. So you look, I look at it in my Bible. Wives are above husbands. Children are above fathers. Slaves are above masters. It's built into the text. So we've already established that the household codes were designed to help the men of society to rule their homes in the image of the empire. But what Paul is saying in our text today, he's saying, look, you don't belong to Rome anymore. You belong to Jesus. So rule your homes the way Jesus rules his kingdom. Bear his image in your household. And Paul is directly appealing to the example of Jesus in this. So we could go back to Colossians 1, and we could read about just how high above us Jesus is, right? He's the name above every name. He's all the way up here. He's way above you. But how does he rule us? He doesn't rule like Caesar or Rome. He doesn't seek to dominate us and control us from above, does he? What does Jesus do? He picks up a towel. He places himself under us, and he serves us. And you can see it so clearly in this image. Jesus stoops down to wash our feet, to serve us, and to humbly clean up our mess. Really simply, Paul is telling the Colossians and us, grab a towel. Do the same thing Jesus has done for you. And it's the same thing Jesus said when he washed the disciples' feet. He said, this is my example to you. I want you to do the same thing for each other. And why should should the Colossians grab a towel and put themselves under each other? That's very countercultural. Why should they do that? Why should we? It's all because of the example of Jesus. It's what he's done for us. And so Paul's appeal in all of this is that we would build all of our relationships on the foundation of our most important relationship, our relationship with Jesus. 
Paul's saying, in your relationships, relate to each other the way that Jesus has related to you. And this is Paul's appeal. And his basic assumption is not only that the Colossians just relate to Jesus as Savior or someone who comes and cleans up their mess, but also that in turn, in response to Jesus, that they have placed themselves under him and called him Lord. And that really comes through in the text today. And this is how the gospel works. Jesus, hupotasso, Jesus places himself under us to deal with our sin, to deal with our mess. And then in response to that, we place ourselves under him. And we say, he's our king, he's our Lord. He's in charge, he gets to tell us what to do. He gets to tell us how to act. We give over the authority over our lives. We give it over to Jesus because we trust him and we've experienced his goodness that he came to save us, right? Not to condemn, but to save. And this is central to Paul's instruction in the text this morning. He assumes that the Colossians are people who have stopped trusting their own wisdom to guide their lives. They're people who have begun to trust in the wisdom of Jesus. So listen to his appeal. If you have it open, you can look at it again. In verse 18, this is what he says, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 22, because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Verse 23, working for the Lord and not for people. And finally, chapter four and verse one, remember you also have a master in heaven. Paul is appealing to the lordship of Jesus over the Colossians. His basic assumption is that they have already placed themselves under Jesus. Because of that, they will be willing to serve each other in love to sacrifice what they want for the good of someone else, exactly like Jesus did for them. And if we run a little bit with this idea, that Paul's main point is that we would build our relationships on the foundation of our relationship with Jesus, he uses this argument to come against some of the biggest threats to relationships at the time of the Colossians. So for the Colossians in Rome, in in the Roman Empire, taking power over others, dominating them, controlling them with fear, these were the patterns from the culture that were damaging relationships in the church. And I I do think this is still relevant for us today. We live in a culture where taking power over others is still prevalent, but it looks a little bit different uh, for us than it did in, in ancient Rome. But I also think it's worth asking, it's worth asking, what are the patterns that we have inherited from our culture that are damaging or could damage our relationships? I think that's the next step of application in this text. And I'd invite you to, to reflect on that question further, maybe over lunch, maybe later this week. Um, 
But the, what Paul is really addressing here is, is this. He's saying, look, you've inherited a model of relating to each other from Rome. And it's not the way that Jesus wants you to relate to each other. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our minds are renewed when we meditate on Jesus and who he was and how he loved us. And so this begins to heal how we relate to each other. It begins to change us. So I have three thoughts for you this morning uh, about how Jesus relates to us that I think call into question some of the cultural patterns that we have inherited. Jesus relates to us with honesty, with covenant, and with self-sacrifice. First, with honesty. Jesus is honest with us about the state that we find ourselves in without him. He's honest with us about the sin that he sees working in us and bringing spiritual death into our lives. And he invites us to be honest about these things as well. Now in the Gospels, John writes that Jesus knew what was in man. That means he had a realistic picture of human nature. Jesus was not naive about human sin and evil, but he also was not cynical about it. So if I'm naive about the nature of sin and evil, then I will be crushed and destroyed when I encounter it in my own life and in the lives of others. Now, if I'm cynical about it, I expect it everywhere. I always expect it, and I'm unable to see the good that is also there within myself, within others. But Jesus was neither of these things. And I think a major temptation for us right now, and something you see very prevalent in our culture, is a temptation to be naive about our own sin and cynical about the sins of others. I'll just say that again. I think a major temptation right now is that we would be naive about our own sin and cynical about the sins of others. And if I'm ignorant and naive about the evil that lives within myself, and then I'm angry and outraged about the sin that I see in the world and others, that's very inconsistent. And to be freed from this, we have to take a look at the cross. Because it's by the cross that Jesus invites all of us to take an honest look at ourselves. And the reality is, the reality that the cross shows us is that we all have something working in us that is so bad, it requires the death of Jesus on the cross. And the more honest that we become about this, the more we can be freed from writing off and demonizing what we see in others. is when we become more aware of our own need and that we have more than enough to deal with in our own hearts, then we won't become cynical and jaded about what might be in the hearts of others. And I think also we'll actually be able to help. I'm not sure we can help anyone with their, with their sin 
if we're unaware of our own. (laughs) It's part of what connects us, is we all have the same problem, and we all need the same solution. It's what Jesus did on the cross, what he accomplished for us. And Jesus doesn't avoid our mess and pretend it's not happening. Jesus got close enough to people to let their mess affect him. Jesus got close enough to Judas to be betrayed by him. Jesus got close enough to Peter to be denied by him. Jesus allows the mess of others to affect him and to affect his life. And he's still the same with us today. He doesn't hide from our sin or the darker parts of our nature. He wants to face them head on and deal with them on the cross. Next, Jesus relates to us with covenant. In a lot of ways, covenant is what makes honesty possible. So in my marriage, uh, the reason Nalanda and I can and should be honest with each other is because we've made promises not to leave. We've promised to stick by each other. And that's what allows us to be honest. Covenant creates a space where we can actually begin to work through our issues without fear. And the reality is that Jesus has promised us he's not going anywhere. And so when we're honest about our sin, it's not like Jesus is discovering something new that's gonna make him wanna leave. He's already purchased us. Past, present, and future sins, all accounted for, all paid for. He knows and he knew when he went to the cross and he was still willing to go. And Jesus doesn't say, well, as long as things are good, I'm here, but if things go bad, or if this costs me too much, I'm leaving, I'm out. And this begs the question about how we relate to one another. Because our culture is extremely transactional about relationships. And this means that I'm in it as long as it serves me. I'm in it as long as I'm getting what I need and what I want, but if that changes, I'm... I'm out. I'm not advocating for staying in, a, in an abusive relationship. That's beyond the scope of what I'm talking about here. I hope that's obvious. But I think we are losing a sense of calling and covenant in our relationships. And you see this sometimes in our attitudes toward church. We can get focused on our needs and are our needs being met. But we lose sight that we've been called to give, just like Jesus. And I think Paul would ask us, what if Jesus had treated you that way? What if Jesus was just in it for himself? What if Jesus had said, well, the cross, that doesn't really serve me. I don't think I'm gonna go. But thankfully, Jesus did not and does not relate to us transactionally. He doesn't want us relating to each other that way either. And that brings me to to my last point. Jesus relates to us with self-sacrifice. We know this, we know this story, but we need to hear it again and again. Jesus sacrifices what's best for him in order to do what is best for us. And in this way, Jesus shows us the shape of love. He shows us what love looks like. 
And it's not just that I would sacrifice my physical life, but that in my relationships, I would be willing to sacrifice my wants, my needs, my hopes, my plans, for the sake of what's best for those that I love. And Paul's vision for the church isn't that there's some of us who have to do this and others of us who don't. The vision is that we would all be doing this for each other. This is what characterizes the church. It's what sets the church apart from the rest of the world. The church is a group of people who are all going around putting ourselves under one another. And again, this way of relating to each other is under attack in our culture. Increasingly, there's a growing unwillingness in our culture to sacrifice ourselves for others. We're very fixated and focused on our rights, making sure we get what we feel that we deserve. But we follow a Jesus who, although he had divine rights to power, he was equal to God, but he laid these down for our sake, for our benefit. He had no sin that needed to be dealt with on the cross. He hung there and died because of our sin. He surrendered his very life so that our sin could be put to death in his body and not in our bodies. And Paul is urging us, love each other in this very same way. Be willing to get close enough to each other that your sins actually impact and affect each other. Be honest about your own sin with yourself and with God. Let it be dealt with on the cross. And then be honest with each other about the sin you see at work damaging and harming your relationships. Live with a sense of covenant and calling in your relationships. Be willing to go the distance with each other. Don't give up on each other so easily. Don't be transactional in your relationships. Be willing to allow your relationships to cost you something. Love people enough to make sacrifices for them. That's at the heart of what Paul is saying in the text this morning. And these are the very things, this is the fruit that will be evidenced in our lives as our roots are growing down into Jesus. We will become these people. And as Rena said last week, these things will be formed in us. And let me close with this, because I think, I think there's two parts to this. And the book of Colossians, actually, um, if you look at it, it's divided into two parts. So chapters one to three are theological in nature. And then, uh, or sorry, one and two, and then three and four are more practical. And Paul, often his letters are kind of divided like this. But I want to say that there's a theological aspect to this. There's, there is reflecting on how Jesus has loved us. That's kind of the first step. We need to do that. Um, and we're about to do that together this morning. But it's reflecting and also experiencing the love of God in Jesus. Tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That's part one. But then we don't automatically leave here and love people the way that Jesus has loved us. It it doesn't really quite work like that, does it? 
It requires a choice. It requires a decision of the will. We have to decide to love other people sacrificially and to lay down our wants, to lay down our needs, to follow the example of Jesus. So first we experience that and then we make a choice. And if we run with default programming, all of us will be avoidant and not honest, we'll choose transaction over covenant, we'll choose self-indulgence and not self-sacrifice. We're all bent in that direction. But I wanna encourage you to two things this morning. One is, is to come again and to encounter the love of God in Jesus. That's what we're gonna do in a little bit. And then two, make a decision to love someone the way Jesus has loved you. And make a plan, maybe there's, maybe there's something, maybe you already know what you need to do. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and call somebody. Maybe you need to write a letter. I don't know what that would be for you, but I invite you to, to make a decision. I'm gonna choose to sacrifice for this person or to try to show the love of Jesus in this way. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.